Hello, and welcome to the Groovy Writer Podcast, where we explore how to find your writing groove, regardless of your circumstances. I'm your host, author and MFA instructor, Nicole McGinnis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I've had a little break and it's been very restorative and just really enjoying the time off, but it's also really good to be back. So I'm going to jump right into today's topic, which is things for writers to try this year. Of course, anytime it's the beginning of the year, we tend to see lots of lists for resolutions and what to do and what not to do and how to be better and all of these things. And I don't necessarily consider these to be resolutions. But I do consider them to be things to try in your writing life if you haven't already, or maybe even if you have tried these in the past, maybe give them another shot. And for some of you, these will seem like complete no-brainers, just well, duh. But for others, maybe I'll say something in this episode that might pique your curiosity or give you an idea of something like it to try. So here in no particular order is a list of writerly things to try. Notice how I avoid studiously the word resolution. These are things that I've tried over the years, by the way. So I'm not speaking just theoretically. I'm speaking from some experience. Some of them, some of the things I'll mention here have actually become permanent fixtures, if you will, in my own writing life. But all of them are things that at one point or another, I found very helpful, even if they did not end up being permanent. So again, no particular order. The first one, celebrate the small victories. I've talked about this elsewhere in the podcast. Depending on what type of writing you do and why you write, some of you, for instance, might write for publication, Maybe you already have been published and you want to keep being published. Maybe you haven't yet been published and you're trying to break through. Um, Others might write just for personal enjoyment. Some of you might be writing for school, for creative writing classes, for instance, or maybe even composition classes. I think it's incredibly important to celebrate the small victories. And the really neat thing about that is you as the writer get to determine what those milestones are, what those small victories are. It might be, I met my word count for the day, so I'm going to relax in my favorite way, or I'm going to go treat myself to a manicure, whatever it might be. But you get to determine what your milestones are, and not just the big, flashy, major milestones, but I encourage you just for the sake of endurance, for the sake of building resilience and building the desire to keep writing, to celebrate the small victories. Get excited when you get a new idea. Get excited when you hash out a draft of a flash fiction piece or an article or a short story. Those actually could be considered fairly major victories, but But don't just wait for the big things. Don't just put the champagne in the fridge for the day that you get an agent or you get a book deal. That's just something that I highly encourage. And that is, by the way, one of those things that I have tried to make permanent in my writing life. And it's one of the reasons I think after all the years I've been writing and teaching writing that I still really, really love what I do. So I highly, highly recommend that one. Okay, the next one, consider upgrading some of your writing tools. Now this can be anything from something really basic like buying a new pen that you really like to write with, or it just has a nice flow. For those of you especially who prefer to write longhand at some point in your writing process, buying nice tools. They don't have to be fancy. It doesn't necessarily have to be a nice laptop upgrade, although that's also in this category. But think about 
what for you is a doable upgrade. And think about doing that at some point this year. Of course, if you wait till later in the year, if you plan for it now, you probably can do a bigger upgrade. Maybe it's certain software you want to purchase that you've heard about or that you've tried via a free trial. Sometimes that software, different writing software can be a little pricey. I know I've invested in some over the past few months and it can be a little pricey, but if it's worth it to you, then if you can't do it right now, plan for it, plan for that upgrade. So that's another one that I wouldn't say I make permanent in that it's not something I do regularly, but when the time comes, I have definitely learned the value of that particular kind of investment in my writing life, my writing career. And next we have, this is a pretty general blanket one for life, but I think it absolutely applies specifically to writing as well. Avoid the shoulds. I think those of us who are writers can often tend to be fairly ambitious people. We can tend to be fairly idealistic people. We can often be, especially those of us who are writing with a goal in mind, say publication, we can be goal-driven, end result-driven. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think we have to be, in a sense, if we have specific goals we're wanting to meet with our writing. However, I also think that being very goal-driven, being ambitious, wanting to compete with all the other other writers out there who are also putting their work out there to editors and to agents that can tend to come with many shoulds. This is how it's done. I should do this. I need to make sure I'm following these rules. While standards, industry standards, let's just talk about publishing specifically for a minute, are there for a reason typically in traditional publishing and more and more in self-publishing too, indie publishing. They're there for a reason, but it can be very easy. And not just for new writers, this can happen to experienced writers as well. I've definitely fallen into this trap. You can start to become so rules focused, so sort of rigid in your approach because you've been told or you've read or you've heard that this is the right way to do things that before you know it, you are acting from a place of external validation, external direction. Not always a bad thing, but the balance can be tipped to where it's too much and it's a really powerful way to kill the love of of writing. It can be something that can really get you out of a productive and enjoyable writing groove. And of course, that's what this podcast is ultimately all about, is how to find your writing groove and hopefully stay in that writing groove. So yes, know the quote unquote rules. Yes, know the standards. Don't try to reinvent the wheel when you are, for example, trying to get an agent or you are sending your queries for articles out to magazines and journals. It's not about not caring, but it's about not letting the shoulds and the rules eclipse clips everything else about your writing life. And that is absolutely something I try to keep in mind. Pretty much every day I sit down to write. It's something that I know that I personally have struggled with. And I like rules. I like order. I like sort of knowing a well-defined path. But the thing about being a writer is we also need to make sure that we're thinking outside the box, writing outside the box, and as I said, enjoying doing it. At least for me, that's hugely important. Okay, so the next thing for you to think about trying this year, I talked about upgrading your tools, even if it's on a very basic, inexpensive level. This one is sort of similar. It's in that similar vein. Level up in your skills. So I'm talking about your craft. I think it's really important every now and then, and this doesn't have to be a constant thing, but periodically, I highly recommend identifying a weakness or two in your writing and address it head on. And I don't 
mean think about how horrible of a writer you are. I don't mean be overly critical of yourself. What I mean is, what is maybe some feedback you've gotten from, say, a writing group or from someone in one of your MFA classes, for example? What is some feedback that you keep hearing over and over? Maybe there's a little bit of a pattern. To give a minor example of this, but something that immediately comes to mind for me. Many years ago, I wrote a manuscript and I sent it out to another YA author. She's a great author. And I read her work in progress. She read my work in progress. And we provided feedback for each other. We were basically critique partners. And one thing that she noted that I just had to laugh at because it was right there and I just couldn't see it. I didn't even think to look for it. Is she made some comment like, you're really a fan of multi-clause sentences, aren't you? So I was writing these complex sentences. They contained multiple clauses and I did it over and over and over again. And once it was pointed out to me, like I said, I laughed. It was strange to me that I wouldn't notice something so relatively basic and the sentences were not incorrect. I think I was writing the way I heard them in my head, which we do, that's fine. But I wasn't really understanding that they were a little overwhelming and they didn't give the reader a chance to breathe and digest and take a little break. So it was a little too complex, especially for YA. That's just one example of that. So try to identify a weakness or two, get someone to read your work and maybe they can help point it out. Multiple people reading your work is always a good thing. And then face it head on, figure out, okay, what's a plan of attack so that I can work on this? I can increase my awareness of it. I can make sure I don't do it so much moving forward, whatever it might be. That's something that for me is a great way to level up in your skills. And I do try to incorporate that fairly regularly. Here's another one. Get out. I literally mean get out. So many of us have a hard time, especially when we're in a good writing groove and we're being somewhat productive and we're just feeling it and the ideas are flowing, or maybe we're not really feeling it, but we're refusing to leave our writing desk, our computer or our notepad, whatever it is, until we work out this scene, for example. And that can become habitual. Writing is obviously a very sedentary activity. So this is something I work on by taking frequent breaks and actually getting up out of my chair. I do like to try to make time during the day to go to the gym. And sometimes it feels when I'm so in my head and I'm in that writing zone, I sometimes think I don't have the energy for exercise. I'm just not feeling it. And I find that can be cumulative. And so I try to interrupt that as much as possible. I'm not this totally focused, disciplined, everyday, hardcore exercise person. But I do think it's important to get ourselves out of our heads and back into our bodies fairly regularly. Make a habit of that. And if you have to, start small. It's fine. You don't have to buy a gym membership and commit to working out five days a week for an hour at a time. But try to move every day. The biggest benefit of this that I find Um, especially when it's getting out, when it's getting out into nature, is it really without fail always has a positive impact on my writing. I will leave my desk thinking, ugh, I really don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like working out or I don't feel like going for that hike or I don't feel like whatever it might be. And yet once I do, I come back to the writing and wow, my whole attitude has changed always for the better, pretty much. I can't think of a time that I have taken a break, gone out in nature and come back and thought, oh, I really regret doing that. Okay, this next one, again, it might sound like a no brainer, but ask yourself if this is something you should try. Read more. I think there's this, people have this idea of writers that we're, if we're not constantly writing, we're constantly reading. 
I am an example of someone who, honestly, I have to force myself to read, which makes me sad because reading is why I became a writer in the first place. I was such an avid reader as a kid and as a young adult. And I think just years and years of adulting, just, I don't know exactly the reason, but I no longer reach for a book first thing when I want to relax or when I want to take my mind off something or when I just want to enjoy the process of reading. So whether it comes easily or not, it's hugely important for writers who do want to level up in their skills, who do want to meet those milestones, whatever they might be, to read. It's a well-known piece of advice. Read widely in the genre and or category in which you're writing. So for instance, if you are a sci-fi writer, read tons of sci-fi and read widely in sci-fi. Don't just read one author or one sub-genre, one sub-area of sci-fi. Read the old stuff. Read the new stuff. Read the controversial stuff. Read the stuff that takes a slant that maybe you don't agree with. That is well-worn advice and for good reason. I think we all know that when we read something, whether we ultimately deem it to be a strong piece of writing or not, we can apply it to our own writing in a way. We can analyze, okay, what made that book so incredible or what made that book fall flat for me? So regardless, just like getting outside and getting into our bodies, taking off our writing hats every once in a while and putting on our reading hats and really immersing ourselves in, I think especially when you immerse yourself in the work of great writers, it can have such amazing benefits for our own writing and it's fun. It's just a good thing to do. It's good for the brain. It's good for the blood pressure. It's just a good thing to do. I know so many of you are busy and we all have lives and we all have different responsibilities. So use workarounds if you need to. Audiobooks are a great thing. If you can't find the time to sit for say half an hour at a stretch or an hour at a stretch and read a book, incorporate audiobooks into your drive time, for example. So read and or listen more might be a better way to describe that thing to try. Here's the next one. Find a writing buddy. I talked about my crit partner who pointed out my great affinity for multi-clause sentences, but it's just great in general to have a writing buddy, someone who you can bounce ideas off of, someone who can read your works in progress. This can be a friend, a family member, someone online in a writing group that you belong to. It's just good for objectivity. This person doesn't have to be a professional editor. Ideally, it's someone who enjoys reading and who has read enough to know why something works or doesn't quite work and who can articulate that for you, and who isn't also, this sometimes is a weakness of friends and family members, who isn't shy about sharing why something didn't work for them. I think sometimes our friends and family members, people especially close to us, want to cushion what they see as maybe a blow if they tell us something doesn't work. Whereas as writers, many of us are going, no, 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 please tell me, you know, what isn't making this a successful piece of writing for you. So try to find a writing buddy. If you haven't done that before, it can feel a little vulnerable. But if your writing buddy is someone who's also a writer, the beautiful thing is you can swap your work and you can critique each other's work and serve as beta readers for each other. This is one of the things that's great about an MFA program is you are in this world with lots of other writers, many of whom want honest critiques on their work, even if it's vulnerability inducing. It's wonderful to swap feedback. And that brings us to another thing to try this year. Experiment with new routines, new locations, 
applications. This ties a little bit into getting up from your desk, doing a workout, taking a little walk, or doing a hike. But it doesn't just have to be about exercise. You can experiment with new routines, new locations. So you might always write in a certain place in your house because just for practical reasons, but maybe try writing in a different spot at a coffee shop. And I know some people will immediately say, I can't write with a noisy background. It might be that you end up jotting notes or you end up listening to conversations. Yes, eavesdropping a little bit. We're writers. It's one of the things we do. And getting some fresh ideas that way, even if it's not something you want to do regularly, location-wise. And along those lines, you might also try writing at a different time of the day. I know for me, my brain tends to be freshest in the morning once I've had a cup of coffee or two. But I also find that in the evenings, right before I go to bed, when I'm really too tired to commit to a serious stretch of writing, I will often get some really good ideas. So I've learned to try to engage my brain a little bit, always keep a notepad or something handy where I can write down ideas that come when my brain is actually tired at the end of a long day. Just think about ways that you can experiment with the hows of your writing, how you do it, where you do it, when you do it. This is something I actually teach in one of my MFA courses where we talk about changing up your routine, try it and then report on it the next week and see how it goes. Students and I, by extension, really learn some interesting things from that exercise, often unexpected things, and you won't know until you try. So that leads us to be your own gatekeeper. This kind of gets back to that external validation thing I was talking about, and I have mentioned this in other podcast episodes. And basically what I mean by this is work on prioritizing your own approval of your work over external approval from other people including agents, editors, beta readers. And this is a tricky one to talk about because it can sound like I'm saying, who cares what people think of your writing? As long as you're enjoying it, that's all that counts. And if you're writing for your own personal enjoyment, I think that's a pretty true statement. But I would venture to say that some of the people who are listening to this podcast are writing because they do have goals. They do want to get their work published. And in order to do that, you are going to encounter gatekeepers. There will be, again, agents, editors, other readers, contest judges, whoever it may be, instructors whose opinion is important and it does have an impact largely on whether or not the work succeeds. That said, I think it's hard for a piece of writing to succeed when we ourselves are not big fans of it, when we are not putting our own approval first. Another added benefit of doing this is, let's say you write something you really love. I have done this. This has happened to me. I've written something I really love. I'm very connected to. And I sent that out to whomever, agent, editor, whatever it might be, thinking I can feel this one. This one is, it's going to be big. This is a great piece of writing. I'm very proud of this. I'm very connected to this. And it didn't get the desired response or it wasn't published. And while that can really sting, I think that when that has happened to a piece of writing I love, it's sort of an interesting paradox because you'd think it would hurt more. But over the years, I've learned that loving something I I've written is a huge cause for celebration and it really strengthens the entire core of a writer's reason for doing what we do. So I'm not maybe articulating this very well, but basically, while I think those of us writing for publication have to keep an eye on things like the market, which is sort of this ambiguous blob, right? There's no one central focus for what is the market, but the market includes what's hot, what people want to read, what agents and editors think people want to read. While I do 
do think it's important to keep an eye on that. Don't let it become so central that you're losing your esteem for your own approval and how important that is. I also think it's important to remember that part of being our own gatekeeper means knowing when the writing needs a little more work, knowing where to look for help in improving those skills. And I talked about that a few minutes ago when I talked about leveling up in your skills. Part of being our own gatekeeper means, hey, I like this piece of writing, but I don't think it's quite strong enough. Learning to A, see that, and then B, to know what to do with that other than just say, it's terrible, I I'm throwing it in the trash. I think being your own gatekeeper is probably going to mean different things to different people, but I encourage you to at least think about what that means. How do you find that balance between honoring how you see your own work versus how the other gatekeepers who will have a hand or not in your success will see your work? And finally, I come to an all-encompassing thing to try this year. For some of you, this might be more challenging than for others. Some of you have probably already learned that it's very important and or foundational to your writing and to your enjoyment of your writing. And that thing to try is be kind to yourself. I know it sounds a little squishy, might sound a little flaky. I do think writers, especially beginning writers on the road to hopeful publication often think, I just need to push myself. I need to drive myself. I need to make sure I get the word count done. And I need to be relentless in querying agents and sending out my articles and my stories, etc. And while there may be a place for that at different points in the process, I think it's very easy to start being so hard on ourselves and so driven toward a specific goal that we forget to soften up from time to time and to give ourselves a break and give the writing a break. I think, again, this is a little bit of an umbrella thing to try because it really ties into other things I've talked about in this episode, getting outside, finding a writing buddy, experimenting with new things, celebrating the small victories. They all sort of fall under that umbrella of be kind to yourself. It might help to think of yourself as your own writing buddy. And how would you, if you had a writing buddy who was just being really hard on themselves or being really relentless and losing their joy of writing, losing their groove, what would you say to that person? If you saw them just getting more rigid, getting more unhappy, getting more joyless in their approach, how would you encourage them? And you might just, when you find yourself, if you find yourself doing that, turn that advice on yourself a little bit. Well, that's about it for this episode. I hope this list has been helpful and that maybe it has sparked some ideas for you when it comes to things to try in your writing life this year. Thanks for listening to the Groovy Writer Podcast. You can find the podcast on most major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. You can also listen in on YouTube and on my website at NicoleMcInnes.com. Until next time, ride on, Groovy Writers. Ride on.